murder. Swerving with my circus, looking for a purpose. Pseudo clean record hope got another circus. This stupid nonsense I'm dealing with. Um, basically, there's an app, you know, that everyone's supposed to use that keeps them safe, right? But you know, like you were just talking with the army. You can't get people to do what's what's in their best interest. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. The old saying. So basically, uh, the compliance. You know, you have a hundred people say, you know, only about fifteen to twenty-five of them are actually logging into the app when they're supposed to. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and it's like, and we're like, well, this is mandated. You have to do this, and those compliance numbers are awful. So we we went up to the top who mandated it for everyone, and we we're like, hey, you know, time to crack some skulls. You know. Because this is a management issue at this point. So skulls are starting to be cracked, right? And the management's coming down to the people and they're being like, hey, you got to log on to this app. Here are your numbers. You had 752 incidents over the past you know, year and you logged in a total of like 30, you know, 28% of the time. So what, what do you think, Josh, those people's response to their manager is? Nothing. They were probably, okay, yeah. great, got it. No, their response is, well, the app is broken. <laughs> oh, I log Lord. in all the time. I log in all the time. So I get these emails like, hey, I think your app's broken because this person's saying they log in all the time. So I, I bring receipts and I'm just like, well, here's what the here's what the report shows and here's what the compliance report shows. And these two uh, things aren't matching yeah. up. So you got to be political about that, right? And it's like, okay, yeah. so look. I will check and see if there's a problem on our end, which I know there's not, but I will check and see. In the meantime, I'm having, you know, some other people give this certain person a call to break it down Barney style to them. This is how you do it. So here's what's going to happen. Now that skulls are being cracked, I'm going to be dealing with at least one of these a day for the next six months saying, oh, well, the app's broken. It's not my fault. No way it could be my fault. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> it's just like, man, you cannot get away from it. You know, we no. used to say, well, soldiers, it's army. No, man, it's just people, bro. It's just people. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely, it's definitely people. I mean, we had that, you know, for a while people would, you know, it's like, Hey, when, uh, when did you get to work? Well, I got to work at this time. Well, well the badge reader says different. And, you know, we had that problem, um, you know, at a previous job, you know, people would be like, Hey, you know, what do you put on your time card? Oh, well, I, you know, I work from this time to this time. It's like, okay. And you go to the IT guys and you're like, hey, give me the log on times for this user. And, you know, this person hadn't logged on to their, their remote worker from home. They haven't logged on to their computer in two days. All right. And it's, yeah, man, it's, uh, but it's crazy. you remember the, the unit we were in together, right? Yeah, I think when you came in, it was still kind of cool. You know, it was still good. You still had a bunch of squared away people. And until a couple of dudes really screwed up, attendance really wasn't a big deal. It's just like, okay, you've been on the road, you know, 280 days out of the year. Just come in when you need to. And you come in and you take care of business like you're supposed to. You know, it didn't yeah. matter. And then when things started to slow down a little bit, we're getting new people in. They see the way things used to be done. They don't understand the context of that. So they, what do they do? They go and they screw it up for everybody. And now you got to look at time cards. And now you got to look at, hey, why weren't you at work at eight o'clock? And why did you come in at eight fifteen? And it just it ruins it, man. It's, that's the that's some garrison stuff, man. Totally garrison. Yeah. Well, you know, you start talking. You know, so 
organizational culture is critically important. And I don't care at what level or organization you, you know, you're in, whether you're in the military, whether you're in the civilian world, doesn't matter what industry you're in, your organization has a culture and that culture is either good or it's bad. And, you know, for when you really start looking at dealing with people, people will, people will change to fit their environment, right? Humans are very adaptable. We've done it since, you know, I mean, the beginning of, you know, the, the human race. So when you create an environment where you don't try, you know, there, hey, there's no environment of trust. There's an environment of micromanagement. It's an environment of, you know, um, just the, you know, I'm going to treat you like a child. Okay, well, then human nature is that we adapt to you and we act like children, right? Because you're right. It, it, I mean, but it's true, right? And yeah, we're going to follow the path of re- least resistance most times. And, but when you start treating someone like a child, they're going to respond to you like a child. And, you know, you can't, that was one of the things, and, you know, we've had this conversation before. That was one of the things that I hated the most about it was the hypocrisy because we would tout something completely different, right? We would go, you know, recruiting pitches and stuff like that. And we were briefing, you know, Hey, this is where, you know, this is the, you know, this is the pinnacle, this is where you want to be. This is where you're treated like an adult. This is where, hey, when you don't have anything to do, you don't do it here. Right. When you're home, you're home. When you're gone, you're gone. And, you know, but that's not what we practice. It's what we preach, but it wasn't what we practice. I mean, they, it damn near turned into, hey, you know, PT formation is at this time. And everybody's <laughs> expected to be there. And that's what I almost turned into because, Again, the culture changed for a couple of reasons. One, you know, kind of requirements slowed down. They changed a little bit. But the the organization made some bad hires. And it only takes a couple of bad hires to completely change the culture of, a, of, of an organization. The organization also grew. Right. And you can't. I don't, you know, and, and we saw this happen in a number of organizations, you know, throughout the, especially in the soft community, when you double the size of an organization, you have to hire people that you may not have normally hired. You know, let's say you're an organization of 50, you can be very selective. Now, when you're an organization of a hundred, that person who came in second and third place, who you weren't going to hire when you were, you know, you only needed 50 people. Well, now you got to go back and give them another look and say, okay, well, I need people. So now I'm going to take the number two guy and the guy who came in third place too. And you kind of, you, you dilute it a little bit. And that's when you start yeah. having the issues that you're going to have that you, you know, you saw it having, you know, SOCOM came out and did, they, they did a study, I don't know, it's like five or six years ago, you know, about the, all of the, the discipline issues and the problems that they had throughout the, the SOCOM formation. And a lot of it had to do with that. You know, organizational culture, bad hires, op tempo. You know, I mean, they were riding people like Zorro and, you know, they, then they're like, I, I don't know why, you know, substance abuse is so high, you know, in our formations. It's like these guys have been on the road 200 plus days a year. These guys are doing multiple deployments back to back to back. And, you know, the focus is still forward. There's no support apparatus in the rear forum. You know, so, it, it, yeah, it, Organizational culture is critical, man. It's important. Um, and, you know, take a look at your organization and what's the culture and is it good or bad? Because it's, it's one of the two. 
Well, you know, I, I miss the the good old days, of course. You know, uh, I think I think Roger would agree if Roger's here. By the way, Roger's out stimulating the economy in multiple ways this week uh, on an island somewhere. Put it to you that way. But he's he he is enjoying himself, but he's also working. So we'll give him that. Uh, but I think Roger would agree. And I, I often think about it. It's like the Iraq war was a big mistake, right? Staying, well, I think when I was in Afghanistan, it wasn't a mistake, uh, except for that one uh, deployment I told you all about in Kandahar that was so awful in the last episode <laughs> in 2012 or whenever that was. Uh, but Iraq war was a mistake. Uh, staying in Afghanistan for so long was a mistake. But best days of my life, man. Shaped me, uh, who I am. Uh, made me into what I am. I wouldn't take it back. So, you know, you got to take the good with the bad, right? And you were talking about you treat a, you treat uh, adults like children, they're going to revert back and act like children, right? One of the experiences I had overseas was exactly the opposite, right? Uh, working with some of these tier one units. Uh, I guess I was very fortunate that we would fall in and we were uh, most times not a part of them. We were there to support them. We were there to uh, enable their operations. And a lot of times they realized they could not do their job effectively without us. So they would treat us like adults. Uh, they would give us, well, they, they'd fill you out first for a couple of weeks, and then they'd start giving you rope. And they gave, at least me, they gave me a lot of rope. Uh, and I, I respected that. And I did. I not necessarily, I was an adult, but I handled it well. I think you guys did too. And uh, one of these operators one time was telling me a story, uh, Sergeant Major, and he was saying that uh, early on they were at a fire base somewhere, and it was just not many of them. And they had a bunch of augmentees that were just regular old Army Joes, man, 88 mics, you know, truck drivers, you know, uh, generator repair people. And, he, you know, they were in such a bad way because they were in such a bad part of Afghanistan that they were like, you know what, let's just – Let's do what we can. Let's let's tell these guys, hey, get your ball caps. You know, wear a ball cap out with us. You know, they started treating them like one of the team. And this guy said, and this is a guy I trust, and, and this is a guy who's one of the baddest men on the planet, you know, genetically superior national asset. He's a jizna, right? He was like, the simple act of giving these Joes a ball cap made them better in combat. It made them better in combat. They 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 observed uh, what the operators were doing, uh, and they acted as if, right? Just a simple act of treating them like an adult, giving them a ball cap, and saying you're a part of the team. So I, I always I, that always stuck with me. But you know, it can definitely go the other way too, as you and I have seen so many times. You get these augmentees coming in. Um, one in particular, you probably know who I'm talking about, who just lose their mind. When when they when they're in that position and when they're in that scenario, it's just uh, crazy, man. It's crazy, but some of the best times of my life, bro. I'm telling you, best times of my life. Yeah, no, I mean, for sure. I mean, the best times of my, you know, some of the some of the best times of uh, of mine, you know, is definitely, you know, it's not the it's not the high water mark in my life, um, but it's you know, it's up there. I haven't the, hit it uh, yet. That's true, man. Every day, every day, is, you know, it gets better. Honestly, and I mean, you know, I mean that in all sincerity. Yeah, you know, you. I always question it. I question it from the very beginning. You know, especially with you would, you know, because it was like, okay, you're an adult now. You're 18 years old. You're an adult. You're in the United States military, 
and you know we're going to give you a security clearance and you know you access some of our you know most sensitive information we're going to give you access and training on you know weapons platforms you know various weapons platforms you know, whole nine yards. We're going to put you in charge of people and you're going to be in charge of taking care of another human being. Right. You're going to make sure that, you know, Joe's doing what he needs to do and, you know, make sure that he's taken care of and make sure his family's taken care of. They got problems. You got to fix them and stuff like that. I mean, it's like, Hey, can I go to the gym for PT today? No. Well, why not? <laughs> because I don't trust you. You're like, wait, what? You don't trust me. Well, why did you give me all these things? Why did you give me access to, you know, secrets and, you know, weapons and explosives? And, you know, and why do you put me in charge of other people and their well-being? You trust me to do all that, but you don't trust me to go to the gym because you think I'm going to go sham. And maybe you're right. You know, every once in a while, it's like, you know, I, you know, go back to the barracks and go back to bed or something like that. But, you know, <laughs> so, but again, you know, you treat people like an adult. And I've always been a big fan of it. That was why I really... I enjoyed the the lifestyle and the culture of the organizations that we were in because it truly allowed you, Hey man, you don't have to worry about me. Just give me your, you know, you look at the commander, you're like, give me your intent and I will go execute. And I will execute, you know, legally, ethically, and morally and legally is, you know, uh, legally it depends on which law you're asked. Right. But I, I will, I will go execute. And you had that autonomy because you were trusted. You have been, you know, through an assessment selection, you were vetted and it was like, Hey, that, you know, that's a solid guy. and He's going to go do what he needs to do. And at the end of the day, you know, so it, it, you know, I would say for anybody listening that's still in or, you know, somebody who's interested in seeking out that, you know, that type of life, you know, hit us up and let us know, we'll, you know, kind of help you out, um, figuring out what it is you want to do. But I, the the big army, the big military, it's just it's it's not a place for that anymore. Um, I don't know if you saw the video, the two geos that were talking, and the the subject of all the mold in the barracks came up, right? And we've all seen it over social media, and it's not something that happened in the last couple of weeks. Like this has been happening for years and years. Now, uh, when I was in Alaska, the barracks that our guys lived in uh, on the second and third floor, the first floor was all the all the cab troops. Sewage backed up through the water fountains in that building. Right, this building, they uncondemned it to put us in there when they stood up the striker brigade in Alaska. All right, so you keep that in mind. Well, these GOs are sitting up there talking, and one of these GOs made the comment, no, our soldiers don't have a mold problem in the barracks. They have a discipline problem. <laughs> right, because apparently, according to him, these soldiers are not keeping their barracks clean. It's like, hey, man, so check this out. Yeah, there's some general cleaning lists. We're not, but we're not talking about like the seal on your refrigerator in your room, or we're not talking about you know, Fruit Loops or Power Bar crumbs on the floor. Like there's a mold. There's mold in the ventilation system of your barracks. That's not something that Joe should have to continuously clean off, right? Because that's indicative of a larger problem. And it's not a discipline issue. Like there's an issue with the facility. And if you think that, you know, that you think that mold that he cleans off the vents, you think that cleans off the mold that's inside the HVAC system, you think it gets it all out because Joe cleaned off his vents? No, it doesn't. That problem is still there. And you have these, you know, you have these soldiers that are living in these barracks in substandard conditions, even for the Army, 
even by Army standards. And, you know, they're breathing in this mold, which is in the HVAC system, day in and day out. And your answer is, well, there's a, you know, they have a discipline problem. When was the last time that general officer lived in the barracks with a bunch of mold? I wonder if his on post housing has a mold problem. I bet it doesn't. I bet that dude doesn't even live on post. And that just, like, that's indicative of the Army leadership today and the military leadership writ large. Um, you know, we, we, we talk about it continuously. But Yeah. I don't know if that's, uh, that's like you said, it's, it's always kind of been a problem. I mean, I was at Gitmo for a little while, and this whole housing development that we lived in, um, again, they uncondemned it when they opened up uh, Gitmo. Right. When they opened up uh, yeah. JTF Gitmo. Right. Yep. And they moved the Navy over into the, the permanent party Navy that actually runs the base. They moved them over into some new ones and they put all JTF Gitmo in these old ones. And, dude, there was just freak mold everywhere. Right. And nobody's going to do anything about it. it Cost too much money. So here's the problem. Right. Being a responsible steward of the taxpayers money. This is why I, I have very little respect for general officers, because they would rather. Well, it's going to cost too much to build another housing complex. Meanwhile, you know, going through this VA claim is, uh, is, is, you know, opening my eyes to a lot of different stuff. You can have these soldiers that have been breathing black mold for anywhere from six months to four to five years living in the barracks, who the, the federal government, the VA, which comes out, that's DOD funding, is going to have to pay for that someday. They're going to have to pay for it. And it's like, well... What do they say? Six and one half, Baker's dozen the other. <laughs> it's like yeah. you will save you will save money in the long run. But I get it. It's all about funding and stuff like that. But with general officers, okay. I've been I've been throwing a lot of shade at General Michael Hayden. Like every time this dude posts, it, he's he's just on Twitter. I just gotta throw shade at the guy because he's just such a moron. But I think I've talked to you and Roger about these litmus tests that I'm coming up with, right? A litmus test to see if someone is truly conservative or not. A litmus test to see, are you really a libertarian? Are you a Democrat? What are you? And one of those litmus tests is, what do you think uh, about us, uh, you know, uh, basically doing an extrajudicial killing on a U.S. citizen, Anwar al-Awlaki? Anwar al-Awlaki was an al-Qaeda dude. He was their minister of propaganda or whatever. He, he was very good at his job. But at the end of the day, he was a U.S. citizen, right? And without a trial... The Obama administration droned that dude into oblivion. And not only did they drone him into oblivion, also his son, uh, who was a U.S. US citizen, and I think his daughter as well, uh, in two different strikes. So I'll ask somebody that. It's, it's a good litmus test on Twitter, uh, especially, because, you know, you got to deal with the whole 200 and whatever it is characters. And if you say, hey, what do you think about the droning of Anwar al laki And if they just, if they say, because, because Roger has a lot of good points about that, but if they say something as simple as hell, yeah, it was a good thing, bro. It's like, okay, conversation over. But if, if they come back and say, well, it's a complicated, it's a complicated scenario. It's a complicated issue. It's like, okay, I'll hear you out. That's a litmus test, right? Yep. Uh, and if they say absolutely not, I think it was the wrong thing to do. It's like, okay, we'll continue this conversation. Why do you think that? So another litmus test, Josh, and I think I think you saw this on Twitter, maybe. Maybe you did. We posted it from Culper's Canteen Cup. It's this video, uh, Colorado on Highway 85. Uh, 
moving south on Highway 85 between, I believe, somewhere, whatever, I think it's south of Colorado Springs. And it's a train, it's a video of a train carrying just a ton of armor. Like, you know, I'm looking at Bradley's, I'm looking at all this Yeah, stuff. I and this saw guy, that. This guy says, this guy says, uh, Colorado Highway 85 just two days ago. And it's a long train, right? What is the U.S. government preparing for? What is going on? This is Colorado. This is on Highway 85. What the heck is going on, man? I've driven this highway every day for the last two years. I've never seen this. What the heck? Holy smokes, kids. It's still going. Go! Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. And okay, so I, I said, this is another handy litmus test to determine the IQ slash awareness level of those who comment slash post. Josh, do you want to tell the world what's going on? <laughs> With that kind of stuff, when you see a train like that, especially from Colorado, heading kind of south from Colorado Springs, maybe it's I'm I'm looking for 85 here, but I guarantee Highway 85 veers to where it's traveling east and west. That that thing is probably going to turn west. Yeah, and where's it going? It's going to Fort Irwin. It's going to the National Training National Center. Training Center. <laughs> yeah. Hey, people do do people know? What's you know what is in Colorado? What army units are in Colorado at Fort Carson? <laughs> like it happens to be, I don't know, some mechanized you know some mechanized infantry. There happens to be an infantry division, um, you know, and a bunch of cav at Fort Carson. Guess what they have? They have tanks. They have Bradleys. Uh, you know, it's yeah, and they're going there. They are more than likely going to NTC because when you know, hey man, when armor units are not at war, when they are not deployed. You know what they do? Those dudes are in the motor pool or they are at NTC driving across the National Training Center trying not to run over the endangered tortoise. All right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that, yeah, that's what you do. And hey, if you're a light infantry or you're airborne infantry, you know, um, if you're third infantry division, guess what you're doing when you're not at war? You're probably doing rotations in and out of JRTC yeah. out of Fort Polk, Louisiana. All right, you're sitting in the palmettos, sweating, and you know, ninety percent humidity, feeling sorry for yourself, getting that um, monkey butt, getting that, getting that, getting that monkey butt. Um, you know, here's a yeah, I saw that. You know, people, those are the same people who you know are like, oh, Jade Helm, that's who, you know, Obama, yeah, Jade Helm, yeah. that's the one. Yeah, you know, they're like, Obama's going to take over America, and you know, he's going to have the military disarm everybody. He's starting with Texas. You know, this Jade Helm, it's a you know. It's a front for, you know, the, the invasion and confiscation of firearms. You're like, hey, man, I have my gripes with Obama, right? I, you know, I have my, I have my access to grind with him, but that's, that's not what that is, bro. Like, this ain't it. Um, that ain't yeah. it. Here's another litmus test for you. How about this? And this is, this is one, you know, Roger's not here. So we get to, uh, you know, we get to have a conversation with Adam and knowing how he vehemently uh, feels about it. <sighs> Civilian casualties in a, in a war zone. All right. Let's try to um, try to get to that next. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, mean, <laughs> I didn't mean to beat, I didn't mean to jump the gun. Um, but you know, civilian casualties in a war zone, at what point do you, Kind of say, okay, do we continue an offensive? Do we not continue on offensive? Do we prioritize civcast over you know adversary, you know, closing with and destroying our enemy? Um, you know, kind of how do you 
you know, philosophical kind of question, how do you balance the two? Do you balance the two? Um, you know, what, uh, what do you, what do you think? And you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I post this on Twitter and we got a grand total of, I think maybe three likes. So thanks folks for supporting the Culper's Canteen Cup on Twitter. <laughs> Basically it was Glenn Greenwald. He, he was, re- he kind of, he was replying to a post and, some dude was basically saying, fact check, the majority of the Palestinian people in Gaza elected Hamas, which ran on a kill all the Jews platform, and it remains widely popular in Gaza. Now, we're going we're gonna to deconstruct this because there's a reader's context down here that says, now y'all stick with us here, stick with us, okay? A reader's context said, nearly half of Palestinians are under 18 and were all either not alive in 2006 or could not vote. Now, there's some problems with that context statement, number one. And I just, I actually heard this today that, you know, you've been hearing a lot of, a lot of talk over the past, you know, since this attack happened uh, from AOC, so on and so forth, that said half of the population of Gaza is under 18. And some of those figures are over half. Do you know who keeps those figures? Do you know where those figures come from? They come from Hamas. Yeah, they, they come, come from the Hamas Mil- uh, Ministry of Health. And it's like, okay. So there's your first problem with that. So (laughs) secondly, the second problem with that context statement is or could not vote. Uh, Okay, well, voting is kind of iffy in that part of the world, especially when you're dealing with uh, Hamas, Hezbollah, so on, so on, so Palestinian Authority or Islamic Jihad. So Glenn Greenwald, and this is what I want to talk to you about. This is this is what Josh and I want to talk to you about is Glenn Greenwald replied the attempt to destroy the concept of civilian with this rotted rationale, all citizens are responsible for their leaders' violence, is dangerous and vile. This was bin Laden's defense of 9-11 and Hamas's on Saturday. It applies more to a democracy, U.S., U.K., than Gaza. So, I find it interesting in this entire conversation. I, I, I want to talk this through with you, Josh, because part of me thinks that or feels that oh, this sounds awful, that bin Laden kind of has a point, right? It's like, this is, you elected these leaders. The U.S. citizen elected these leaders. Maybe you should be punished for that, right? I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with him. I'm just saying, well, there's a logical point there, okay? The problem comes in with, and I'm sure we'll get to discuss this. I've got it all pulled up here. The problem with that is this little thing from, what year was it? It's a little thing from 1929, 1949, uh, called the Geneva Conventions, and that, that it, which sprouted from the Hague Conventions, which we've all, which technically we all agreed on. Even Palestine, Josh, even Palestine side on to the Geneva Convention. So, what are your thoughts on what Glenn Greenwald said? What are your thoughts on the majority of the people in Palestine voted for or elected Hamas? And the Kill All the Jews platform remains widely popular in, in Gaza. Sub-question, what do you think about Ron DeSantis saying, hey, look, you know, the majority of Palestinians are anti-Semitic. And we don't want them here. So it's your ball. I'm sure we'll kick this back and forth quite a bit. All right. So let's go ahead. We'll tackle the, tackle the, uh, the first question. Um, you know, are people responsible for you know their elected leaders that's that's your question correct 
Yeah, it's it's like it's part of the discussion for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes and no. All right. Uh, yes. You know, I mean, you, 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 maybe not you personally, you, you might not have cast that vote, but at the end of the day, that's your elected leadership. And, you know, it is, you, you are representing your, you know, you're, you're an American, um, that's your elected leadership and either you get behind them or you don't, doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, the world doesn't view it. A lot of people in the world don't view you as separate from your elected officials, right? When you travel the, travel the globe as an American, you know, and I've, you know, and you, you have, I have, you know, and a lot of our listeners have, have traveled the globe under a number of presidents and we fielded questions, you know, various questions of, well, why did y'all do this? Why did y'all do that? Right. So a lot of a lot of foreigners, they don't differentiate between, well, I'm going to ask you this question, not because, you know, it's not like, well, I know you may not have voted for them, but, you know, it's a you're an American. Your president obviously is an American. OK, why did y'all do this? So they're already they don't you know, they don't view you as separate entities. Um, are you, you know, are you responsible? Uh, yeah, no. Because, you know, your perception is reality and their perception is your reality, whether you want it, whether that's true or not. Um, so it kind of, yeah, that'd be the first part uh, of, of, you know, that, like I said, you know, we'll, we definitely got to pass it back and forth because obviously a lot more, a lot more nuanced. And what's your second question again? Well, just talking about, you know, what do you think about, Oh, I guess that kind of covers it. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, that was a question. Yeah. yeah. DeSantis saying that those who express anti-Semitic views, um, specifically the Palestinians, you know, not being allowed in the United States, I'm completely okay with that. But I'm also completely okay with, you know, DeSantis or any president saying that people who are unwilling to come in and assimilate to American society shouldn't be allowed to come here. I'm fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't care if it's anti-Semitism. I don't care if it's just plain racism. You know, if you're, you know, let's say you're Chinese and you come in and you're like, I hate the Japanese, right? I hate Japanese, you know, for what they did in Nanking. I'll never like them. I'll never accept them, you know, and every one of them should die, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, Hey, I'm going to come to the United States. No, you're not welcome here. We have to get we, we have to get away from this. We have to accept people immigrating to the United States. No, we don't. We should be very selective about who we allow into our country. And you know, a lot of people have decried DeSantis and a couple others, you know, as being racist because he said absolutely not. No, like I would not accept Palestinians into the United States. And, you know, people, oh, my God, it's racist. Okay, well, Egypt won't accept them. Jordan won't accept them. Syria won't accept them. Are they racist too? Or or do they know something we don't? Or are they on, you know, are they looking at that, you know? And when you say Palestine, um, you know, Palestine signed the Geneva Convention. I'm not aware of Palestine ever being a formal country. And so... You know, Palestine signed the Geneva. Okay, what does that mean? Was that the PLO that signed it? The Yasser Arafat signed it? 
uh, you know, because Palestine is not and has never been a, uh, you know, a formalized country with borders and a government and, you know, anything. It's, uh, it's been always been very nebulous. Uh, you know, and I want to clean up something real quick. I'm going to hand it back to you, but I want to clean up something from the last podcast when we got to talking and, you know, it was talking about, you know, somebody was like, well, you know, Iranians are Arabs. And it's like, no, Iranians are Persians. Persians are not Arabs. They never have been. They never will be. Arabs are not Persians. They never have been. They never will be. And we said that Palestinians are not Arab. So I want to define that and walk that back a little bit. The original Palestinians were not Arab. The Philistines were not Arab. They were European. They came from Southern Europe. They came from Greece, Crete, you know, the islands, um, you should go back and I went back and I read up on it a little bit, uh, you know, and it's even, uh, Ramses when Ramses was Pharaoh, he talked about this great battle with the, the Northern islands and these people after the battle went on and moved to the East through the Sinai into, you know, Canaan, um, and they were the Philistines. So the original Philistines, which people, you know, want to say, well, the Palestinians were there first. Okay, well, they weren't one, they weren't Palestinians, they were Philistines. They weren't Arab. They were they were Greek, they were Southern European. So if we're gonna play the whole like who was here first game, then you need to give that back to the Europeans. <laughs> right? If we're gonna if we're gonna do that, the, the decolonization, as they're calling it, which is you know basically a new word for genocide, right? So I just wanted to clarify that the, the Palestinians now are Arabs, um, but they weren't there until thousands of years later, right? I mean, Islam didn't come along until the seventh century. And that's about when, you know, I mean, they were the, the Jew, Jewish people were, you know, occupying the land that is now Israel 13, 1300 years before the first Arabs actually showed up. So little history lesson. I wanted to clean that up from the last episode um, before you know somebody could come at us uh, with that. Ah, that was a good one. I uh, that was good. That's a good little little tidbit there. There's so many tidbits with this stuff that goes back oh, to history. Yeah. Like for instance, like the the word Palestine to label an area was yeah. I think go ahead. No, I was gonna. I, I was. I was just yeah. Hey, yeah, that's a great point to bring up. It was the Romans. The Romans called the land that is now, you know, that is Israel, Palestine as a slur. Like, like shithole. Yeah, basically. Because <laughs> let's yeah. be honest, I mean, good Lord. I mean, I, I'm with you, Josh. I want to go to Israel. That's on my bucket list. Um, oh. And, you know, I'd be, my wife wouldn't be happy with it, but I'd be perfectly happy if we were over there and shit kicked off like it is now, man. I'd be like, yeah. all right, I'm going back in it. But the, it's a desert, man. It's a desert. It's a very inhospitable place, you know, and that's where, you know, when you read the stories in the Bible about Jesus, you know, and, you know, the, the Sea of Galilee and all this stuff, it's not like the most scenic of areas in the world, uh, by the modern lens anyway. I mean, there are parts of Afghanistan that are just so stark, and I find it beautiful. You know, parts of Nevada that are stark, I find it beautiful. But it is a very inhospitable place. But I want to get back to a couple of things with the Geneva Convention real quick. So with all of these calls by 
you know, the squad and Todd Nisi Coates and all this stuff about, well, you know, there needs to be a ceasefire. You know, Israel needs to, you know, not be indiscriminate. They need to take care of the civilians. There's never one mention of hostages, not one. And there are nigh 200 hostages, 199, the last count. There's probably more. So let's just be real clear. Article 34 of the Geneva Conventions of 1945 is very, very clear. Article 34, Palestine signed on to this. Article 34 is one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five. Six words. Article 34, hostages. The taking of hostages is prohibited. So right there you have a, I don't know what we're calling it. We'll call it a nation for now, um, an entity that has taken hostages. They have already broken the Geneva Convention, and no one is saying anything about that, naturally. That's an easy one. Now let's talk about Article 29, and this goes back to civilians and responsibilities and stuff like that. And we're really going to break this one down. Article 29, the party to the conflict in whose hands protected persons may be is responsible for the treatment accorded to them by its agents, irrespective of any individual responsibility which may be incurred. Now, that's a lot of legalese, okay? It's, it's real legalese. So take that, what I just said, and it goes like this. The party to the conflict, okay, that refers to one of the parties involved in an armed conflict. That would be Hamas such as a government, rebel group, or other organized force. Again, that's Hamas. Protected person refers to civilians who are not taking part in the hostilities and who are, therefore, entitled to certain protections under international law. Okay, so regular old civilians who just go to work at the tea shop every day and, you know, they're just living their lives. You know, they're the ones that uh, everyone's concerned about. Okay, so we've got party of the conflict and protected persons. Next phrase, in whose hands protected persons may be, suggests that these civilians, the one we just said, could be under the control, authority, or custody of one of the parties in the conflict. That would be Hamas at this point in the Gaza Strip. For example, they might be living in an area controlled by a party to the conflict. Clear enough? That's Gaza. Yeah. Next, is responsible for the treatment accorded to them by the age, by its agents. That means the party to the conflict is accountable for how its representatives, agents, or members treat these protected persons. That means Hamas is responsible for them. This includes ensuring their safety, well-being, and protection from harm. Okay, that, that's pretty clear. Hamas has responsibility for those civilians, period. Now, that's the last phrase. Irrespect, this one's kind of the tough one. This is the legalese. This is why we hate lawyers. Irrespective of any individual responsibility which may be incurred. Okay, this implies that the collective responsibility of the party to the conflict, Hamas, is distinct from any individual responsibility of its members. Okay, so in other words, even if individual members of the party to the conflict are found to have violated the rights or protections of these civilians, the party itself is still ultimately responsible for the overall treatment of the citizens in Gaza. In other words... What happens to those citizens if, Gaza, if uh, Hamas doesn't get them out is Hamas's problem, period. Hamas knows it's a densely populated area. It's, it's very clear. They need to get those civilians out. Now let's talk about Article 35, Josh, right to leave the territory. 
All protected persons. We discussed who the protected persons are. Those are civilians not involved in the conflict. All protected persons who may desire to leave the territory at the outset of or during a conflict shall be entitled to do so unless their departure is contrary to the national interest of the state. I'm reading that's a nation. Palestine is not a nation. It's not a state. State is actually capitalized here. The application of such persons to leave shall be decided in accordance with regular established procedures and decisions shall be taken as rapidly as possible. Those persons permitted to leave may provide themselves with necessary funds uh, for their journey and a reasonable amount of effects and articles for personal use. We know. Well, we don't know. But there are multiple reports from independent sources saying that Hamas is actively keeping people from leaving. They're setting up roadblocks, keeping people from you know, going to going south to Egypt. Okay, Hamas is in direct contravention of the Geneva Convention in three cases as it stands right now. And those are just three articles. Israel's not doing any of that stuff. You know, I mean, when you do a surprise attack on Israel, when you conduct a surprise attack and you're killing civilians, sure, that's Israel's responsibility, but they didn't know the attack was coming. They didn't know they had to protect those people. You know, it's just, it, yep. we're, we're talking apples and oranges here. It's just, it's very frustrating. That the whole the whole situation is frustrating. Um, let me get your thoughts on, on what I just said. I know there's a lot of wordy gobbledygook, but at the end of the day, it boils down to this. Israel should not purposely target civilians, purposely, for the sake, just for the simple sake of targeting civilians. No one should do that. But if civilians get injured in the course of war, at this point, according to the Geneva Convention, that's on Hamas. That's on Hamas. So in other words, if Israel's bombing a uh, or artillery, whatever, you know, JDAM, whatever they're doing, at a headquarters, Hamas headquarters in downtown wherever, and a few civilians get injured because they were too close, that's on Hamas as long as Israel was targeting that military uh, target. And that's the effing bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. Stone, so let it so let it be written. <laughs> no, I agree. The you know the the Geneva Convention, a lot of folks, you know, obviously a lot of countries signed it. You know, as we've said, Palestine is not a country. Um, you know, never never has been. But, you know, they signed it and they should be operating in, you know, in good faith uh, along those lines. But so I was having a conversation today with uh, with a couple of buddies. And, you know, we kind of got talking about the uh, it's you know much akin to the Supreme Court decision about, you know, the the executive branch and these agencies, these unelected bureaucrats. Right. And specifically the Supreme Court case. I can't remember the name of it, but it came out and ruled that the EPA does not have the authority to basically legislate from the executive branch, you know, on what farmers can and can't do with their water on their land and stuff like that. Now you would think that that would have resulted in, you know, the executive branch agencies reeling themselves in and saying, okay, uh, okay, well, you know, we won't do that anymore, but they just thumb their nose at it because up till now there's been no repercussion, you know? And so, you know, you're looking at the same thing with Hamas and, you know, Palestine, Hamas didn't exist until 1987. So when Palestine 
you know, signs the Geneva Convention, and I don't know when they signed it, whether it was in the 40s or the 50s or later, um, you know, Hamas wasn't a thing. Um, now, the ideology was there. The ideology was absolutely there because, I mean, you just go back to the 19, um, you know, I forget when it was. It was, I think it was the late 60s. It was the, uh, the Khartoum uh, resolution and the three no's. And, you know, for, for our listeners out there who might not be familiar with the three no's, the Arab League Khartoum resolution in uh, the late 60s basically laid out, said, OK, we will, you know, we'll stop schwacking Israelis. We'll stop, you know, doing a couple of things. But these are our three no's and we're not budging off them. And it was no peace with Israel, no recognition of Israel and no negotiations with Israel. Those are the three no's. Now, this is back in the 60s. So when Israel has tried to come to the table multiple times and they keep getting told no, they can't get anything done. Whether, you know, the Oslo Accords in 1993 was a complete failure, you know, even though Yasser Rabin and Yasser Arafat shook hands and, you know, Yasser Arafat, you know, wasn't a terrorist anymore because he had lunch with Bill and Hillary and the United States is not going to negotiate with terrorists. You know, and then later on, yeah, you know, the Geneva Convention. That document is, you know, it's like the Supreme Court decision on, you know, against the EPA. It's only as good as the people that are willing to honor it. And you know, everybody can sign the Geneva Convention, but if you're not going to honor it, then, but there's no repercussion, right? And that's where it comes in. It's like there has to be repercussion from negative act, negative behavior, and up until this point. There has been generally no negative repercussion, by and large, not not at scale, right? Because it's always Hamas will launch rockets out of Gaza, you know, into Israel, whether it's you know into the west, you know, around the West Bank or generally toward Tel Aviv, and Israel is generally you know has to be constrained by the rest of the world. They'll launch some rockets back, and that's it, right? And then you know, around and around we go, you know. When there's no repercussion, you know, at scale, then that behavior continues. Um, and what we're seeing now, and I, I fully support what Israel's doing, one hundred percent. Is Israel has decided that we are done. We are done with this. They had the worst, you know, the worst day, the largest loss of of Jewish life since the Holocaust. From a group of people who they basically, you know, walked away from in 2005, 2006, when they turned Gaza completely over to them, Hamas turned around, dug up all the pipes, you know, that were supposed to be there for water, turned them into, you know, turned them into missiles and missile launchers and stuff. And, you know, then they come in and, you know, they target civilians, they targeted, you know, kids, babies, and, you know, then, then everybody wants to hop up against Israel and, I just, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I really, I really don't, um, you know, and I agree. No civilian, you should never, ever, nobody, us, you know, we, we're, whatever country, you know, you, you, you pick, throw one up there, should ever intentionally target civilians. But civilian casualties, are, that's, that's, that's part of war. It, it has been since, you know, the dawn of time. It will continue to be until the end of time. All right. You try and minimize civilian casualties as much as possible. 
you know, it's not something you want. Uh, you know, you, you definitely don't want to get in the habit of, you know, we're going to start targeting, uh, you know, civilians. And I don't think Israel is, but like you said, Hamas won't let civilians leave. They won't evacuate them out of Gaza. And so, I mean, at the end of the day, that that blood is on on their hands. And, you know, Israel is going to have to do, you know, what it what it needs to do. They are going to launch a ground invasion of, of Gaza. One 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 side note here and I'll, I'll hand it back to you is I think Biden's presence in Israel, him headed to Israel. I think this uh, the U.S. Uh, Central Command commander, Carilla, I think his presence, you know, Blinken's presence. Uh, to include, you know, Schumer was there, Mitt Romney was there, you know, the, the whole cast and crew, they are actually impeding Israel's efforts um, because they are trying to talk Israel out of launching a ground offensive into the Gaza Strip. They're absolutely doing it. And the longer the longer that they keep Israel from launching a ground offensive into the Gaza Strip, the more time Hamas has to prepare the more leverage that gives Hamas in negotiations and the longer that gives Iran time to make a play to, you know, get supplies to support Hamas, you know, and, and, and put Israel at a disadvantage. And I think it's intentional. All right. You know, I think we're in Obama's third term. You know, we kind of talked about this and I'm going to hand it back to you after this comment, but Obama moved us away from Saudi Arabia. All right. He moved us toward Iran with the nuclear deal, you know, releasing of funds, everything. Trump moved us back closer to Saudi Arabia with the Abraham Accords. We were on the verge of that. And then Biden came in and has, you know, largely tried to undo the Abraham Accords as much as he can and has pivoted us back to Iran. So I truly believe we're in Obama's third term now, uh, you know, especially foreign foreign policy wise. But though. So, Ask you, you know, at the end of the day, are those civilians in the Gaza Strip, are they getting what they deserve? Because, you know, 40% or whatever you want to believe the election results are in 2006, 2006, coming up on, you know, 17 years ago, do you think they're getting, quote unquote, getting what they deserve? I don't, I don't think it's deserve has Deserves got nothing to do with it, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's a comeuppance that they may not necessarily deserve, but you reap what you sow, kind of thing. And it's just like in in that that and that could be equally applied to Americans, Russians, Chinese, Thai, whatever. When you get what's coming, and it doesn't mean you deserve it. It's just what's coming. You went down this road. Now you're going to reap the whirlwind. You know, I, I think it's sad, but I do think it's nature. And I think it's cyclical. And I think this stuff happens. Did every single, were there innocent lives in Jericho, quote unquote, when they blew the horns and took that, you know, in Sodom and Gomorrah, I mean, poor Lot, he spent some time trying to find a good person. In that case, there were no righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. So boom, that came down. None. But are you telling me, like you look at the Old Testament, are you telling me that like even the kids weren't righteous? You know? It's like no. it's it's just an interesting thing. It's like you you may not be a believer or anything, but those stories in the Old Testament, they're there. 
right? And it you can look at it as mythology or whatever, but there's truth in mythology. Okay, there's a little yeah. truth there. Where I mean, you 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 pull back the curtain. This is what I don't like about preachers, man. They they don't tackle difficult issues like this for the most part. I think my boy Michael does sometimes. I don't know. I haven't heard him preach in a very long time, but there are object lessons in these old, old stories, not just in the Bible, but from mythology, you know, going way back, you know, but anyway, okay. So let's, so Biden being over there, got a couple of things I want to say, you know, I don't, I think that there are multiple reasons they're over there. I don't think that they are purposely trying to sabotage Israel and get them to lose. I don't think that's it. I think it's a stall tactic, definitely to keep them from going into Gaza but I heard I saw I saw something interesting. It was an analysis of Israel shutting down the water and the electricity uh, throughout Gaza, and you've seen that they've turned it back on, right? They've turned it back yep. on in the south. They what they did is they left it on. They left certain aspects of the of the uh, infrastructure on in the south and turned it off in the north, because apparently the majority of the tunnels and everything and all of Hamas's infrastructure is in the north. So Hamas and those tunnels down there, they have their own independent generators and stuff like that, where they still have electricity. They still have water, right? So everyone else, I think this is a genius move if it really went down like this. You shut it all down, at the very least, even if they didn't leave it on in the south, people are going to move south to try to get to that Rafa crossing into Egypt. All right, the regular people who need water, who need electricity, are going to move south. Meanwhile, Hamas is going to stay in place up north because they still got their electricity and water, Right. So now they've turned it back on in the south, but not necessarily the north. Okay, so that's that is a very genius way of moving civilians out. I think I think that's a brilliant, brilliant thing. I agree. But yeah, Blinken being there, Biden being there, uh, Carrillo, which I knew him as Lieutenant Colonel Carrillo. That's that's how old we're getting. <laughs> yeah, dude's a four star general. Now. He's an awesome dude, by the way. But yeah, there is definitely an. Uh, an aim there. And I know that there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes and uh, with Jordan, with Egypt, probably way, 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 way behind the scenes with uh, Iran, you know, those backdoor talks that are going on, uh, you know, a lot of stuff going on in Qatar, a lot of stuff going on in Yemen. Uh, and I think that this is a d- dynamic situation. This is what I want to get into you with, because this may not be out till Thursday and there may be a lot of movement by Thursday. But libertarians are really starting to lose me, man. I think they're kind of losing the plot on this. I, I read some of the stuff they're saying. I listen to some of the stuff they're saying. It's just like, dude, you know, they're, they're calling into question moving two carrier groups, in, in, you know, into the region. It's like, you know, that's where I got to give Biden props. It's like, I think that's a good move. I think that's exactly what you should be doing. You know, moving Marine Rapid Response Force in there. Yeah, that you know what that is? That's a threat. That's a direct threat to two entities. One hundred percent. It's a threat to Iran because this is saying Hamas, you better not. And like in this one time, I do believe Joe Biden when he's, you know, he's like, don't, you know, when they're saying, what do you have to say to Hezbollah and Iran? Don't do it. Don't do it. Because we got these giant, giant baseball bats, two of them in the region ready to hit you hard. Okay. But. The problem is you've got, like I think I think we covered this last one, you've got Hamas in the south and Hezbollah in the north, right, coming down from Lebanon, things like that, both supported by Iran. Hezbollah is a much bigger military threat than Hamas. So if, you know, 
if, if, if Hezbollah gets the order to go ahead and they're chomping at the bit, I guarantee you to do it. They get that order from Iran. You're going to see a much different type of scenario here. And those, I mean, this could turn into a conflagration in relatively short order. Now, back in the day, George H.W. Bush, when Saddam invaded Kuwait, he actually waited a little while to decide what to do. And it took Margaret Thatcher calling him saying, George, this is not the time to get wobbly. And that's what I'm afraid is going on with Blinken going over there, the CENTCOM commander, Joe Biden. They're getting wobbly, right? They're second guessing. It's like, what are you doing here? Are you second guessing their battle plan? What are you doing here? I, I, I think we're seeing some wobbliness. I think there were some decent moves. The devil is due, man. Moving the carrier groups in, strict warnings. I think he was a little long. You know, he, he took a little bit too long to you know get out there in the public and make a statement on it. But I mean, this could really turn into a regional conflict in very short order because if Hezbollah comes comes across full force, and Hamas goes out and does whatever they can, you know, kamikaze style, it's Israel is not going to experience another Holocaust. They're not going to do it. They will go down in a ball of fire before they let that happen. So look what happened on the Masada. Look that up on Wikipedia. So you could see, you know, they say a nuclear exchange, but like who's going to be exchanging? Israel's the only party in this that has a nuke that we know of and delivery system capable of putting one into Tehran. So it's like this could turn into something. And I hope by the time, you know, Thursday rolls around. So Joe Biden's going there on Wednesday. You can guarantee there will be no ground incursion into Gaza on Wednesday or probably Thursday, right? But yeah. is Hezbollah, Josh, is Hezbollah ballsy enough to make a move while the president of the United States is on the ground in Tel Aviv or wherever he's going to be? Dude, because that, be, that would be ballsy. Dude, that would be gangster. I would have to give him that, dude. That would be a little gangster to make a move while the president's in town. Woo. It would it would it would definitely be gangster, but do I think they would do it? Yeah. What better recruiting ad could you come up with than come join the group that just you know went after the president of the United States, the you know the most powerful man in the free world? Like we're we're you know we are the team that you want to be on now, right? I mean, it'd be dude, they'd be the ISIS of you know of twenty fourteen. They'd be the they they would be the Al Qaeda of two thousand one. Um, you know, Al Qaeda. You know, when you know they they bombed the USS Cole. Uh, you know the the, the embassy bombings in uh, Kenya and Tanzania. Do I believe Hezbollah has the stones to do it? Yeah. Do I believe they're willing to do it? Yeah. Um, you know, at the end, I guess, of the, I guess the, I guess the question is, will Iran let them do it? Right? Because that that order will come from Iran. Yeah, a hundred percent. I I I don't know because you know here's the thing, and you know I had this conversation before, and you know you look at you look at Iran, you look at Russia, North Korea, you know even you know even Xi Jinping. These guys aren't stupid. They're, you know, they are, they are not dumb people. You know, people, you can say KJU in North Korea is, you know, he's crazy. He's stupid. The guy's not, 
right? Um, I think his sister's a lot smarter than he is. Uh, but the, the, the guy's not stupid. And the party behind him, you know, the, the committee, same in Iran, they're going to take a look at that. And they know, they know where that threshold is. They're going to go right up to it. They're going to push on it until it starts to splinter a little bit. Then they're going to back off of it. Because Iran knows that if they unleash Hezbollah in its full force, they unleash, you know, basically, you take a look, some of the Shia militia groups that they had in Syria and they uh, northern Syria have packed up in, in, northern, in eastern northern Syria. They packed up and they moved west toward the Golan Heights, which Israel took from uh, Syria in the Six-Day War when Israel whipped everybody's ass in six days. And, you know, I think if Iran was to completely unleash them, I think Iran knows that that's going to be a wrap. That That's going to be it. They're, you know, because Israel has, you know, when you, when you break down into, you know, you break it down into targeting, right? Is your adversary going to, you know, attack you um, or are they going to make a move against you? You break it down into three buckets, capability, intent, and targeting. Do they have the capability to do it? Does Israel have the capability to, you know, hit Iran kinetically. Yes, they absolutely do. They've proven that. Do they have the intent? Absolutely, because you know Israel has said, and even if they have to do it unilaterally, they will not allow Iran to have a nuclear weapon, period. They just they absolutely will not do it. Um, and then the targeting, have they historically targeted them in the past? Yes, absolutely. So, and I think it's the same thing with, you know, like Kim Jong-un, uh, Kim Jong Un knows that if he, you know, he lays a nuclear, you know, ICBM on Tokyo or you know, into South Korea, he knows that's a wrap. The rest of the world's weight will come down upon him. Um, you know, China will just kind of be like, "Hey, man, don't don't come north of the Yalu River. We're good. Do what you need to do." And so, I think you know, Iran's is the same. I think Iran knows where that that line is i think they are going to push it as far as they can um but i don't i I don't know that they're going to unleash hezbollah on the president of the united states you know i don't think they're going to give them that because i think they know if if they were successful right what that would mean because everybody would know that everybody would know hezbollah did it and everybody would know who gave that order and the rest of the world at that point would come down on them and and I, I, I don't I don't see it. Um, and Lebanon is also in you know Lebanon kind of gets a little bit of a vote too because Leb- the Lebanese government is constraining Hezbollah as much as they can because Hez- Lebanon's already had a civil war. They don't want another one and they know that you know their economy can't withstand it. You take a look at the Lebanese economy. And it, it's really bad. Like it is, it is really, really bad. It's been you know years and years and years of mismanagement, um, years of spending money they didn't have, and it is in it is in shambles. Uh, you know, I got to uh, I got to go to Beirut a couple times. Uh, you know, here in the last you know six seven years, and man, it's a it's a gorgeous city, uh, but you can feel you know you can feel the poverty there. Uh, even on the, you know, even on the Christian side of Beirut, you can feel the poverty is they're in a bad place. And they know that if they were to unleash Hezbollah, you know, Hezbollah was to go, you know, go, go to, go to guns with Israel, uh, at, you know, on a, on a pretty large front, Israel's going to come into Lebanon. 
and Lebanon cannot stop them. Their military cannot stop uh, the Israeli military. And they, I think you're going to see a civil war in Lebanon if they do that, uh, because, you know, they don't have the money to pay for it. Apparently, we have the money to fight two wars, uh, according to Janet Yellen. Uh, but I, Lebanon does not have the money to fight Israel because Israel would destroy what you know what is left of their infrastructure. Uh, I don't think people know how good the Israeli military is when they you know matched up against you know the the Syrians and uh, even the Egyptians and, and the Lebanese. I don't see them going to guns with Jordan. Uh, you know we're too close with Jordan uh, in Israel and, and Jordan and King Abdullah and Jordan, like he, that, that guy's legit. He understands the deal. Um, he's not going to go to guns with Israel, uh, you know, by and large, but that guy, dude, that guy's a badass in his own right. Yeah, that dude, um, that guy literally bombed ISIS like himself. He yeah. went up in planes and fight in, in bombers and actually bombed ISIS. You remember when that, when they burned, yeah, the when Jordanian they burned pilot his pilot alive. alive. Yeah. Yeah. And that dude, yeah, that dude, that dude, led that dude the, went up know, and dropped bombs. Yeah, that guy's a badass in his own right, you know. And you go back and you look at BB Netanyahu. Like, I would be curious. I would love to have a conversation with that guy and be like, "Hey, man, how many people have you killed? Like, legit killed? Like, <laughs> like up close he, and didn't personal." He do, what, was he on the Inteb, the raid on Entebbe, or was that his brother or something? I think. The, I think it was him. I'm not 100 percent sure. I know he was a. I know he was a badass in the in the Yom Kippur War, um, if I if I recall correctly. Uh, but yeah, man, BB man, well, he's he's cut some throats. Um, if y'all haven't yeah. read, uh, and Josh, I can't I can't think of the name of the operation, but if y'all haven't read the story about the raid on uh, in, in Tebe Airfield in uh, Uganda, right? Um, that is a very very interesting story that's when like dude israel's like they took no prisoners man i mean because they're fighting for their survival it's like you really want to back them into a corner again because i think you said it last time josh i mean they are going to there's going to be some ops going on in uh cutter you know what i'm saying against those hamas dudes and there's there's a reckoning coming they know and they you know we as the u.s you know we are very, and this is reflective in, in a lot of the tier one units, where it's not that we're risk averse, but we really mitigate every possible risk, right? And if the if the mission's too risky, we're not going to risk the Operation Thunderbolt. That's right. Thanks, Josh. Um, if, the, if the risk is too great to lose national assets that we've spent millions of dollars training, we will not do it. You know, we, we learned that hard lesson and uh, forget the name of all these operations to uh, to rescue the Iranian hostages, right? Well, yeah, Desert oh, One. Come on. That Desert One. Yeah, Desert it One. Was, that, that wasn't Operation that was, that, that, was, that, was, that was the landing site, yeah. But yeah. Israel's not like that. They're just like, we've got some, there's hostages at the Entebbe airfield. And you know what? We may lose everyone, but this will show the world that this is what we're willing to do. And we'll do it again. Yep. So that was Operation Eagle Claw. Eagle Claw. How horrible is that that we forgot? Yeah, I'm I'm embarrassed. (laughs) Pathetic. It's embarrassing. I'm I'm absolutely embarrassed. I hope nobody had to listen to this podcast. I want to. Damon. (laughs) Damon correctly pointed out that I think I I said it. uh, I said we haven't mentioned Trump once, you know, in the last podcast. But uh, Damon said no. Josh mentioned it when he was talking. (laughs) Yep. <laughs> what were you yeah, talking he, about? You were talking about the, the Abraham Accords. So 
with Trump, Josh, uh, I think that, okay, if you, if you think that, if you're one of these people that think that, uh, you know, all these indictments are a big conspiracy to, to distract him from his campaign, uh, I think this is, you know, whether it's a conspiracy or not, it's happening. Because I'm not seeing a whole lot out of Trump about the stuff going on in Israel right now. I'm not saying he's not putting it out there. I'm seeing I have I'm saying I haven't seen it. Okay. He's talking about his own indictments. He's talking about his gag order. And it's like if anything, he should be hitting on this Israel thing as hard as he possibly can. You know, who is hitting on it and hitting on it in a really strong way is the number two contender, DeSantis. The number three contender stepped on her crank with Nikki Haley. It's like what Okay, this is your, uh, I, we can't say grabbed him by the P moment, but uh, this is your, not no new taxes, but I'm trying, oh, this is your y'all moment, where what's his yeah. name goes, y'all, and his whole campaign went down the toilet. Guess what, Nikki Haley, you're done. But my, my thing is that I'm not saying this is a turning point because Roger would be just turning out. Like I guarantee Roger, from where he is now, <laughs> is like cringing a little bit us talking about this. Like, I'm not saying this is a turning point. I'm just saying that maybe people are waking up. Maybe some people wake up a little bit, be like, you know what? That DeSantis, I think I would like the way he's handling this. And Trump's not saying a word about it because he's too busy dealing with other stuff. And that's not going to stop. So maybe you've seen some rumblings out of Trump. I sure haven't. I haven't seen much. Freaking I haven't Jewish. Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't seen a lot out of him um, on, you know, specifically on Israel. Uh, you know, and I mean, I follow his Twitter, Twitter his Twitter account or X account or whatever, whatever we're calling it today. Uh, but I haven't seen a lot. But I did see his plane. You know, he was headed headed to Iowa. All right. You know, after the judge put the gag order on him um, and uh, he's he's headed to Iowa to, you know, to caucus there. And it's like, oh, you've got a plane and you're headed to Iowa. Ron DeSantis sent planes to Israel to bring American, you know, Americans home, specifically, you know, Florida citizens home. And I get it. All right. So, you know, Trump's not a governor. Um, he's not a mayor or anybody. You know, he doesn't have you know, technically constituents, um, you know, that are that are there. But, bro, you got a plane. You have something that a lot of people don't have access to. And you have the money. You have the financial means to get Americans out of, uh, you know, out of Israel, especially in Tel Aviv that are trying, that are trying to get out, that want to get out. And, you know, you're, you haven't done a whole lot, even your social media, you haven't said a whole lot about it. And you're right. You know, Jared Kushner, you know, is, is Jewish. And I even think Ivanka, you know, I, I think she could, you know, I don't know if she was Catholic or whatever, but, you know, I mean, even she's practicing Jewish, you know, uh, practicing Juno. And so, yeah, I, I think he's, I don't think he's playing this right. I don't think he's playing it well, I think, but I think that's, I think that's his hubris. Uh, part of that, large part of that is his hubris getting in the way and, you know, along with the distraction of the indictments and the gag order, because I guarantee you, he is like, I am so far up in the polls right now that I don't have to expend a whole lot of effort on this. He, you know, yeah, I think he truly believes he's going to coast. It's, this is a tortoise in the hare situation starting to play out. Um, 
because DeSantis is, I think he's played it very, very well, uh, you know, on this. And, you know, the whole, no, I would not allow Palestinians, you know, people, you know, to come immigrate into the United States and they're anti-Semitic and all the, Pal- and he even said all of the, you know, basically all of the, you know, Palestinians here in the States that are, you know, not citizens, they're here on a visa or whatever. He's like, I would, I would deport them. They would be gone. And you're like, I don't disagree with that. Right. Well, you saw the protest. I mean, you saw the protests around the United States, specifically, at, you know, at, at colleges, pro-Palestinian, you know, pro-Hamas. And so I do. I would go through that crowd. If you're a citizen, fine, whatever. You're going on a watch list, maybe depending on. But, dude, you're you're not a U.S. citizen. You're just here on a visa. You're here, you know, visiting or whatever. And you're out spouting, supporting a terrorist group. We put our citizens in prison for that. Right sending money to you and providing material support to terrorism. Why would, why would you let somebody who's not a U.S. citizen stay in the United States if they're doing that or you'd be gone. And I think a lot of, dude, I think a lot of Americans um, are, are, are going to get behind that uh, and can get behind that. So, yeah. and Nikki Haley, yeah, I actually she, have a friend, man, go ahead. She, sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, man, Nikki Haley, she, she did not play that well at all, um, at all, you know, so when, we'll see. We'll when see you told me that, out. when you told me that, I was like, are you sure she said that? Because I heard her say something else and I was like, well, I'll have to probably not, probably not related. And then I saw it today and I'm like, unbelievable, unbelievable. What is she doing? What are you doing? I, oh God. It, I, I just don't, I don't. People are losing their minds, Josh. People are losing their minds on both sides. Yeah. Speaking of losing their minds, I have a friend who's, she is a Palestinian Arab. Uh, came over here, I think, when she was 11, 9, 10, 11. And uh, I don't know if it had anything to do with the time when Kuwait expelled all the Palestinians. I don't know. I know her dad did really well. Um, but she is a, I don't want to get, now, I won't say her name, so it doesn't matter. Maybe she'll come on the podcast, but she actually converted to Christianity. And man, you get her started on this stuff, she'll tell you what she really, you know, thinks about, you know, <laughs> it's like it's like us talking about Americans. Like most Americans are peas, right? Yeah. Of course, I love my country. You know, you got to get along with your fellow citizen, but let's be real about who they really are, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's how she is. <laughs> she gets real, real, son. I mean... It's brutal. So maybe we can get her on the podcast. I think she was on the Keep Your Powder Dry podcast uh, recently. But one thing I want to say, and I, this is not name dropping, this is not clout chasing or anything, but I do know a couple of folks. You brought up a point that reminded me of something. I do know a couple of folks who have Trump's ear. Um, and he does listen to him on some things, or at least they have the ability to speak to him on some things. And I remember uh, when we started, when we were pulling out of Afghanistan, and, you know, there were these organizations who were, you know, setting up, you know, uh, pads out, you know, for American citizens. I remember telling them very specifically, I actually called him, got him on the phone. I was like, you need to tell your boy to get in on this. You know, this yep. stuff that uh, Tim Kennedy's doing and all these other organizations, he needs to get in on it because the best thing in the world, you know, think about the press on that. It's just, un- it would be yeah. unreal. And you know what he did? Nothing. Now, I don't know if they passed it to him. It doesn't even matter. That should have occurred to him and his people, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. Like, uh, Ian, 
It's the same thing what you just said. It's like, did this not occur to you that you could do this? And you could just completely flip the script and you would probably, I mean, I would get, I'd be all, I'd be all hyped up about it. It's like, why didn't you do this? You have the means, you have the ability. I, it's just, it's, you know, Roger was talking about how horrible DeSantis is running his campaign. And yeah, it's, it's not the best, but it's like Trump, what is his campaign? His only campaign is those folks out there that are going to vote for him. Even if there's pictures of him playing poker with Satan, you know, Eric, <laughs> I love you, Eric. I love you. I love you. And I, you know what, Eric, I love you. And if Trump gets the nomination, I'll vote for it. But gosh, it's just, man, no, I, I don't know. I, you're absolutely tortoise and hare. You said it, tortoise and hare. You, you yeah. said it. That that's a that was a good that's a good point. You're you're absolutely correct. And you know if, if we can think of this, um, you know uh, you know us knuckle dragon nugs, if we can think of this, and if Trump is you know sur- he, if he if he surrounds him by the you know if he surrounds himself by the best because he only hires the best people, then this should have been you know they, they like I mean this should have been foretold, right? Hey, you need to get in on this. You need to, you need to start getting people out. We're going to, that's going to be part of the big campaign is going to be Trump's, you know, Trump 747 or something, whatever, whatever it is sitting on the runway in Tel Aviv with a bunch of flag waving Americans getting on that thing. And when they get off that thing in New York city or wherever you're flying them into, brother, they're getting off, they're carrying American flags. They're carrying like, it is going, like we are going to make this a spectacle. And, Right. If we can think of that, you know, you can at your level and our level, like, why can they not think of that? Um, and his his campaign is I don't want to delve. I don't want to make this about about Trump because I still got some comments on on Israel and stuff to make. But his campaign, he came out and said that uh, today he tweeted out that he is going to establish an iron dome for the United States win his second term. I was like, okay. So I have a couple questions. So I have a couple questions. Uh, one, why didn't you do that in your first term? Because at a certain point you control, you know, you were the president and you had both chambers of Congress that were GOP majority. So why didn't you do that in your first term? And second, what, what are we worried about? Are we worried about, do we need, do, do we need protection from short range missiles? I mean, I get it. Like, I, you know, I get the Cuban missile crisis thing, brother, that was a while ago. And I don't think Putin's got, you know, nuclear ICBMs, uh, you know, sitting in Havana, and, you know, today. So what do you, your Iron Dome. And then he talked about, you know, how he was going to, you know, stop immigration and, you know, he was going to limit it. And it was almost verbatim what DeSantis had put out three days earlier. And so again, I go back. Why didn't you do that the first time? And two, DeSantis already said this. So where are you getting your talking points from? Why are you always trying to do and follow up on what DeSantis says? Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. If he was so good. And and again, I like Trump in his first term. I really did. He did a lot of good stuff especially, you know, foreign policy wise, the Abraham Accords and the judicial nominations are the two greatest achievements out of his, his term. The rest of it, meh. Um, But it's like, if your term was so good, 
then why do you constantly have to, you know, attack your opponents about how, you know, dumb they are about how and make up these crazy nicknames for him? Just like, hey, this is my report card, you know, match it. Let's see yours. Um, you know, you run on your own merit. And he, he can't do that because he knows, you know, and the whole thing. COVID, COVID truly was the, the, the downfall of Trump, the Trump administration. Um, now, was COVID his fault? No, absolutely not. Was it how we responded to COVID his fault? Yes, absolutely. Because that narrative came out of the federal government. It started with the federal government and it, you know, trickled down to, to the states. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know what he's doing with his campaign. A bunch of people on Twitter, you know, that are Trump supporters, a bunch of them are stupid because you ask them a genuine question. It's like, okay, what should the policy be on X? And they're like, MAGA. And you're like, okay, well, that, like, that's not a policy. MAGA is not a policy, right? You, you, we, need some, we need a little bit more granularity on that. You're like, MAGA. You're like, okay, all right, guy. All right, thank you. Uh, move it on. Um, so one of the things in this, just in the news, Luke, um, the, uh, the embassy, the U S embassy in Beirut right now, as we sit here and record this at, uh, at nine forty nine on Tuesday evening, the, uh, Eastern standard time, Eastern standard time. Uh, I was about to throw some, like, some, like, hold on, let me give everybody the Zulu time. Uh, they are, <laughs> uh, Lebanese police and military are having to keep a, a, a sizable mob uh, in protest away from the United States Embassy in Beirut right now. They've deployed tear gas and, uh, and it looks like you know, somebody you know, reading some stuff on rubber bullets and stuff. Uh, I will say, generally speaking, uh, rubber bullets are, are a, uh, you know, are not generally used. Generally, they use real bullets. Um, so keep an eye on it. I don't know how many embassies that'll be that, uh, you know, have been, uh, you know, potentially evacuated or, you know, overrun, uh, since, uh, Biden's been in office, but, you know, uh, keep an eye on Lebanon, uh, folks. Cause again, we're not done with that, especially depending upon what Hezbollah decides to, uh, to do. So I'll throw it back over to you, man. You take well, it, uh, take us where you want to. Well, I, I'm going to throw it right back to you because I'm like, and this is a, not a rhetorical question because we don't do rhetorical questions on this show, but, uh, so why the U S embassy, you know, why the U S embassy in Lebanon? I mean, are they that pissed about the carrier groups? Are they that pissed about Joe Biden and Anthony Blinken and, uh, and, uh, general Carrillo coming over? It's just, it's not rhetorical. I, and maybe I'm asking you, you know, too simple of a question for your big brain. But Josh, why the American embassy, you know? We haven't done anything yet. Oh, no, no, no. See, they don't they, they don't draw a distinction between us and Israel. Right? Um for for two reasons. One, they don't draw a distinction between us and Israel, and two, Israel Israel doesn't have an embassy in Beirut. So um, you know, the U.S. is the next best thing. Uh, but apparently they are, uh, it started shortly after the reports came out uh, that we, that Israel, I say we, that Israel bombed a hospital in Gaza. And they're saying, you know, they're reporting like 500 dead, approximately 500 dead. Uh, some video has come out after the fact. And it's supposedly, again, I don't know, you know, again, it's hard to parse through a lot of this stuff. Um, 
there was a barrage of rockets launched out of Gaza. Uh, and a couple of those rockets, somebody missed the, you know, somebody didn't mix the fertilizer correctly. And one of those things fell short onto a hospital in Gaza. Uh, is what the video is is stating, but it was shortly after that. Of course, Hamas said that the you know saying the Israeli uh, air force had specifically targeted the hospital, um, and you know Israel saying no, it was a rocket barrage, basically Gaza bomb Gaza uh, with it, and so it was. They said it was shortly after that that the mob showed up at the the U.S. embassy in Beirut that's there now, um, and is lighting things on fire, throwing rocks, and beating up uh, security guards. And stuff so um like you said man it's super dynamic and it's really hard to keep up with what's going on because things are moving so fast and the amount of information very little information is coming out of gaza a lot of information that's coming out of israel is coming out from you know the israeli government uh, i haven't seen a whole lot of like independent press stuff coming out you know quickly Not i mean you gaza. see no, no, not out of Gaza. And you see, you know, you see it coming out of Israel, but, you know, it's like, okay, well, is that, is that being censored in any way? You know, what is it? Um, you know, and I'm okay with people questioning stuff. Every, you should question everything. Uh, you know, so I got no problem with people saying, well, I'm going to need some more fidelity on that. Uh, well, it's, it's fine. This is the tip of the iceberg with the hospital because I've been, I've been looking at that all day long. Uh, came out first and people were arguing. Uh, was it a J dam? Was it this? Was it that? And, and, you know, <laughs> both sides are blaming each other. Right. And yep. it, you know, I remember back in 2017, early 2017 over in I- Iraq or my Syria, uh, when all this stuff was coming out about the election and the, uh, you know, Russian interference, some dude said he was air force, a uh, JTAC, really smart guy. He goes, we live in a post fact society or we live in a post fact culture now. I was like, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean? And we're seeing it now because at this point, it doesn't matter what the facts are behind that hospital getting hit. You are going to believe, or not you, but people are going to believe what their ideology tells them to believe. Those people, you know, waving the Palestinian flags in New York City and Dearborn, Michigan, it doesn't matter if they were there and they saw it with their own eyes, the rocket veering off and hitting the hospital, Israel still did it. They sabotaged that rocket and they did it on purpose and vice versa. You're not going to find a Jew alive who's not, well, maybe you would, maybe you would in the United States, but you're not going to find an Israeli alive that's going to say, oh, no, 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 that, that, you know, no way. There's no way we bombed that hospital. No way. So this is just the tip of the iceberg everything that happens in Gaza is going to be framed in two different ways for two different audiences. And you're not going to sway anybody one way or the other. You know, maybe Joe Sixpack out there who <laughs> I'm starting to think Joe Sixpack is more discerning than the average person. It's like, well, a hospital got hit. Uh, these rockets are made out of, you know, old, uh, you know, water lines. I, I see the video, but again, there's deep fakes and all this stuff. It's just like, it's the tip of the iceberg, bro. This stuff's going to be going back and yeah. forth and it, it ain't pretty. And it's not even, I mean, this is like, it's not fifth generation warfare. Um, it's back in the third generation, probably I'm guessing. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's um, a lot of misinformation, you know, and I, again, you just gotta, the, the simple fact of the matter is you boil it down to this. What happened? God, it wasn't even this last week and it was the weekend before. 
what happened? They, their own propaganda videos, Hamas's own propaganda videos showed what happened. They yeah. wanted that to get out there. You know, uh, you know, men killed, uh, children taken, uh, women raped. I mean, good Lord. I mean, this stuff, okay, I'm, this is this stream of conscious now, so I'm, I'm going all over the place. Do it. But I think you and I agree, and I think Roger does too, that I think every morning – uh, at schools everywhere, every morning on the news. Well, it doesn't. It's twenty-four hour news cycle. But at eight a.m. every morning, across the across the the spectrum, they should be showing the nine eleven footage, not only of the planes hitting the towers, but also the people jumping out of the buildings every day. That should have been happening since September twelfth of two thousand one, and it shouldn't stop. It should be force fed to us. The video of the girl who had obviously been brutally raped taken out of the back of the Jeep uh, yeah. Jeep Wrangler, that needs to be shown on loop. That girl being taken away back to Gaza on the back of a motorcycle, she's screaming to her boyfriend. Her boyfriend, you know, has got his hands, you know, zip-tied behind his back, obviously taken to be killed somewhere. That needs to be shown on loop, you know? Uh, yeah. No doctored videos. That's, that's straight up. I mean, that's you're never going to see those again. The girl being taken out of the back of the Jeep Wrangler, you're never going to see that again. That's one of the most brutal images I've seen in a long time. You know, it's just people need to realize the brutality of this world. These people that are marching and all these college students are ripping down the photos of people who are still hostages. They don't re they don't realize. And I know I'm preaching the choir to our entire audience here. They don't realize what these people will do to you if they are in control. You're the first to go. It's the same with communists. You're the first to go. Because everything you hold dear, everything you hold dear, they're going to tear it down and they're going to kill you for believing it. And you're sympathizing with them? It's just like, I, I hope, I pray to dear God that I'm never that naive. I've been naive before, but not that naive, bro. No. No, you're 100%. And... That's why I'm I'm fine. You know, a lot of people are like, don't share their videos. You know, don't share their propaganda form. Don't share the pictures of the carnage. I'm like, no, show it. The world needs to see it. The world absolutely 100% needs to see it. You know, it was one of the first things, one of the first things that Eisenhower did when, you know, they found, they started to uncover concentration camps. And Eisenhower's like, go get every reporter, get them up here take pictures, take everything, do it now because someday someone's going to say this didn't happen. And it's the exact same thing. You're like, Oh, well don't show it. Don't share it. No, people need to see it because people need to understand the world they live in. The world we live in is ugly. It's ugly and it's brutal. And if you're not strong, you're not going to make it. And there are people out there, like you said, there are people out there who will kill you for what you believe, but and they won't think and they won't lose a second of sleep over it. They're going to rejoice in it. They're going to have fun. And those same people, those same people, like one of the highest honors of their society is that they die while doing it. Like they are they, those guys, especially the true believers. Right. And this is when and you know, the deal, man, especially when you're dealing like with Chechnyans. Dude, they are the truest of the believers. They're more, dude, they are truer believers than people who take the Hajj and go to Mecca. Like the Chechen, those guys, brutal, just brutal. 
you're talking medieval brutality. Um, and they do not care about you. They don't care about your family. They will kill every single one of you and sing songs while doing it. Um, and people, people need to know that. And these, these college kids running around, they still live in that idyllic world where, oh no, they just, you know, they, we got to sit down and talk to them. We just got to make them, you know, make people understand. You can't sit down and reason with somebody who thinks and does acts of brutality, like killing babies. You, there, there's no reasoning with that person because they justified in their mind that killing that baby is okay because they're a non-believer because, you know, they're an infidel they're you know, whatever. And well, no, they just, you know, they just need some hugs. It's like, no, like you can't reason with that. You can't do that. You know, I saw the funniest one I've seen was, you know, somebody at one of these pro Palestinian rallies holding up a sign and it was the alphabet people, you know, for Palestine. And you're like, you do realize what they would do to you in Gaza because, you know, you, you, you like someone of the same sex. You do realize they throw you off the top of the building. But you tracking that? You know they do that in really the majority of the Muslim world. You would not survive. They would kill you. They would kill you on the spot and they wouldn't think twice about it. But you're out here, you know, getting by because it's the current thing. And, of course, you know, we've spent, you know, the media spent, you know, decades painting Israel as, you know, the, the enemy, um, you know, and I was reading, I saw, I did a, did a little test. I pulled up, you know, the history of Israel, MSNBC, CNN, even, you know, the BBC, um, a lot of the New York times, WAPO, all of the, all of the leftist, you know, mediums, every single one of them, when they gave their timeline for the history of Israel, you know, when it started, 1948, 1948, every single one, every single one. But I mean, that's, you know, but hey, man, that's powerful because that's what, you know, people now, teenagers and stuff like that who are interested in this are looking at that. like, Oh, what is the history? Oh, well, Israel started in 1948. You know, and you're like, oh, man, this is so bad. Like, the you know, the the media is to blame for, you know, a lot of this stuff. Um you know, you brought up the Chechens and it, it got me thinking, uh, you know, because I, I think I, I messaged you guys last night. and I'm like, I'm starting to plateau in my workouts. You know, I need to figure something out. And you bring up the Chechens and it makes me think about, you know, some of those videos of the Hamas guys. And some of the most glorious videos, by the way, are the ones of them getting shot where it's filmed by their own body cam. It's like, yeah, reality just hits you really hard, buddy. You know, I, I know you've seen those. It just, it it's really good to see. <laughs> but, so, these people, you know, we work out, and I know, you know, you see the, this this footage of those, those guys, you know, coming across the border through the wall, not the border, through the wall and stuff like that. And, and you may be thinking, our audience, I'd kick that guy's ass. Man, I got all my guns in the, in the closet. I'm good. Uh, you're not. You're not. You need. You need to be thinking about this, especially with Chechens, someone who's like a true believer, someone who grew up tough. And I, I, I'm reminded of a quote, and I don't know where it comes from, but I've got it pulled up here, and I'm just going to read it. And this applies to myself as well as everyone else. And Josh, I know you've heard this quote before. Somewhere, a true believer is training to kill you. He is training with minimum food or water in austere conditions, day and night. 
the only thing clean on him is his weapon. He doesn't worry about what workout to do. His rucksack weighs what it weighs, and he runs until the enemy stops chasing him. The true believer doesn't care how hard it is. He knows either he wins or he dies. He doesn't go home at 1700. He is home. He only knows the cause. Now, who wants to quit? You know, I mean, dude, like you said, Josh, this is a brutal world and people need to get, you know, we get comfortable. I'm guilty of it just as much as anyone else. Yeah, but if you think that if you think what happened to those kibbutzes couldn't happen where you are, I'm not trying to be like alarmist or everything, anything else. I'm just saying, man, we're cushy. Uh, we're sheltered. It can happen to you. It can happen to you. It can happen to your kids. It may not happen to you. It may not happen to your kids. But your kids' kids and their their kids, maybe someday. You know, the world is a brutal place and we are so sheltered from it. And that's why you have all these people marching at Dearborn and New York City and all these college campuses who just don't realize how brutal the world is. It's just these people are hard, man. They're hard. Harder than us. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I remember my, uh, you know, my first deployment, you know, young, young private, uh, you know, you know, private Josh and, you know, went to uh, went to the Balkans after Arkans Tigers had, you know, rolled through, rolled through Kosovo, you know, dropping, uh, you know, dropping Albanians down wells. Um, and, you know, that it up until that point, I'd never really cared about, you know, politics or world affairs and you know stuff like that like i knew i knew i'd watched red dawn enough times that i knew that i hated communists and i hated the soviets and you know i hated russians and you know the only good communist was a dead communist now um, but you know you you still had i still had a level of innocence uh about the world in general and then we started pulling bodies you know we we we, we came across villages and stuff like that where they had you know basically cleared out all the men and, you know, they'd taken them up to the well or, you know, to a ditch or somewhere and, you know, made them all stripped down. And then there's shell casings everywhere. And, you know, there's, you know, you can see body parts here and there, and, you know, the, the UN's in there and, you know, whoever else is in there, you know, clean it up and, you know, pull the bodies up out of the ground. And you're just like, wow. Wow. And it's, you know, it's kids stuff like that. And that, that was the first time I think my, my worldview, my, you know, um, my naivete and, you know, the world, I, I realized right then it's like, well, oh, the world's all not, not all unicorns and rainbows. And I, I need to probably kind of generally get my shit together. Uh, so you, <laughs> if I'm so going to make it. <laughs> you were a private when you went yeah. to Kosovo. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. PM, well, PFC. See, I, I, you deployed before I did props. You were a, you were a uh, hip deep in hand grenade pins long before I didn't, <laughs> I didn't deploy. I think in, it was, a, it was hip deep hip in MRE crackers. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I guess I deployed maybe a year after you did uh, to Kosovo. And I remember you were telling that, you know, um, you weren't really ready for it and you realized, okay, I, I'm in over my head and maybe I need to, you know, get a little harder <laughs> Yeah, and I remember yeah. you, y'all can y'all can look up this guy. I think he's still on the the UN's list of uh, war criminals. But we were in Yurosovac, uh, Albanian uh, town name is Frerozai, same name. 
Ferizai Yurosovac, and uh, there was a cop there, a UN police officer who was a former, you know, Uchika guy, you know, Albanian, you know, separatist fighter. We all knew that. And I had seen this guy in the hallways of the UN police and the dude just, I mean, he exuded like, I don't know, he was intimidating as, as hell. And we were at a, uh, a sporting event one time, you know, because back then it was, diff- you know, we were at a sporting event doing our, doing our thing. And uh, this guy comes up to me and the translator, you know, we were having a little chai, not, not chai, but the macchiatos, you know. Yeah. He sits down. He sits down with us and starts talking. His name is Itzak Muslio, and he starts talking to us. And it was one of the most passive, intimidating conversations I've ever been in. And I knew, like he, it was weird. I don't even know how to explain it. It was just like he knew what he was doing. Here's this young U.S. soldier. What the what the hell ever? He thinks he's a shit. I'm going to sit down with him. And it wasn't like he was being aggressive. He was just being like passively intimidating. And I knew just from talking to him, I was just like, okay, I am not ready for this dude. You know, like in any way, this guy is a steel or iron eating, just caveman could tear me apart with his bare hands. And not just because he's stronger than me, he's just harder than me. I was so intimidated. He, he actually kept asking me, are you okay, man? Are you okay? And I knew I wasn't okay. But I'm like, yeah, man, it's all good. I'm just, you know, and I'm, I'm sitting here in the back of my mind. Okay, I know I'm supposed to be collecting right now, but I can't think straight. And then years later, this guy is indicted, you know, by the UN for war crimes because of the crazy shit he was doing to Serbian civilians, uh, you know, when we started bombing. So it's just like you get to I'm, – I'm sure we've all been there. Maybe maybe some audience members, except for Damon. I don't think Damon's ever had his ass kicked. Although I think that Chris Verdon did break his arm one time, I think. But uh, we've all gotten our asses kicked. Maybe one time you realize you weren't you weren't the man, or maybe you sat down and you saw some mass graves, and you're like, okay, I, I really need to adjust to this. But there's there's that awakening, I think, in yeah. every man's life, and probably a lot of women's. It's like, okay, the world is not what I thought it was. I thought I was ready for this, and I'm not. And you know that 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 interaction with Itzhak Musliu, among many others, has again shaped me and who I am. If I sat down with that guy today, same dude. Would not be the same interaction. Not at all. No. But we're young, and like you said, I think very early, it's like they throw us in with all this responsibility, and we're not ready for it. No. no not ready for it at all. No. You certainly wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to have my, you know, it's your innocence. You know, I wasn't ready to have my innocence shattered. Not like that, right? I mean, not like that. Like, it was... And that's the, you know, and it was the, you know, it was the grisliest of, uh, of things when, you know, it's again, it's, you know, it's old, old men, kids, you know, uh, the military the age men. Yeah. And the, the smell, smell, you never, yeah. You know, the, the, the smell will never go away. Like you can smell it. You can, you know, you, you always know that smell, um, and stuff. And then, you know, and we've seen it's it's one of those things that, you know, I hope my kids never have to see. It. I, in a way, I'm kind of torn because I want them to see it because I want them to understand, like, hey, this is reality and this is the world you're going to have. You know, you you have to live in. But I don't want them to see it until much later because I don't want their I want them to keep their innocence, you know, as long as possible. Uh, but, you know, it's like uh, but, you know, you, you, you want to get them tuned in pretty quick. And, uh, you know, it's. 
when you you know when you take a look at that, and we we have seen the the worst of what humanity has to offer, right? Whether it's you know whether it's ethnic cleansing, whether it's sectarian violence, um, whether it's just you know terrorism, uh, you know whatever you know where we've been in the world and the professions that we chose and you know the organizations that we chose to do those professions with have taken us around the globe, and and we have seen the worst of of humanity. We've seen the best of humanity too. We've seen a lot of great things, um, you know, that, that humans can do, but you know, that's not what we're talking about tonight. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, the, it's <laughs> it, it is truly the worst of, uh, of humanity and people need to understand, people need to realize that, you know, these, these people, you know, and I'm going to say Palestinians, um, you know, in Gaza and stuff like that. Yeah. You know what? They may have been young in 2006, and they may not have been old enough to vote, but they're old enough to make a decision now, and they can make that decision on, I'm either going to become part of this, or I'm going to be the decision, I'm going to break the cycle. And, you know, a lot of them have been brainwashed, and people will be like, well, you don't understand. She was like, no, no, I understand, I get it. Because I've talked to people like this, you've talked to people like this, Roger had all of, you know, a lot of our listeners have. Like we've dealt with these people. And there's absolutely a decision. They can make it. And if they decide to fight with Hamas, well, hey, there you go. If they decide to stay, well, I'm not gonna be an active participant, but I'm not leaving either. All right, well, you know, civilians get killed in wartime all the time. Israel's not gonna directly target you, but they're not gonna go out of their way to help you when, you know, you, you get in the way. Um, you know, so we all make choices in life and you know, you want to make that choice to stay. Well, then you have to deal with the repercussions of your choices. Uh, but you know, the, you have a choice. You can leave if you want to, you can pick up arms and you can fight Hamas if you want to, or you can just sit on the sideline and not do anything. And, at the end of the day, you know, I think it was Eli Weasel who said, it's like, you know, neutrality doesn't help anybody except the oppressor, right? That's the only person that helps. You can choose to remain neutral, but you're only supporting the oppressor and the oppressor in this is Hamas. And it always has been. Um, so I, uh, I don't know, man, you know, I know we kind of got started on, you know, civilian casualty, those, you know, are those people getting what they deserve? They're getting, what's coming um you know whether they deserve it or not that's debatable uh but they're getting what's coming and what's coming is the reckoning there's going to be a reckoning israel has i i really really think they've had enough you know of the you know the tit for tat and at the end of the day they've shown that they'll do things unilaterally they're not afraid to do it and i don't think they're afraid to you know push a ground invasion into the gaza strip it's going to be brutal it's going to be ugly Right. It's urban combat. It's condensed urban combat. Like it's going to be super ugly, um, but they're not. They're not afraid to do it because they are. They aren't fighting for oil. They're not fighting to gain territory. They are fighting for their very existence, and that's a great. That's a great motivator. So, I'll throw it back over to you. Well, spoiler alert for everyone: if you're still around. 2,000 years from now, if the planet is still around, this shit will still be going on over there between the Israelis, the Palestinians, and the Arabs. I hate to break it down to you like that, but it's still going to be going down. 
Uh, this is not a new thing. It's been happening for a long time, like we talked about in the last episode. It's just thousands converging on the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. Jiminy Christmas, man. This looks like uh, the line from uh, Hunt for Red October. <laughs> this is going to get out of hand. <laughs> Yep. What he says. This business is going to get out of hand. It's going to get out of hand. It's what is he saying? It's gonna He's like, it's going to get out of hand. It's going to get out of hand quickly. Something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. That was an old, uh, that, was, that was an actor who was also a senator. I can't recall his name, but yeah, it's going to get out of hand, man. And uh, uh, has, or Hamas, or no, wait. So, yeah, Hamas called for another day of na- of rage, which will be tomorrow. So on Wednesday, which you will already have listed this by by Wednesday. And it's like, okay, real quick. I know we're coming up on time here, but I was having a conversation with someone very close to me, uh, someone I'm related to. And um, I was like, you know, maybe best to steer clear of concerts and, you know, uh, you know, mass, you know, attended events and things like that. And this person said to me, it's my daughter. (laughs) She said to me, (laughs) well, if anything was going to happen, it was going to be on the national or the, the day of rage or the day of day of jihad. And I'm like, you don't understand how this works. Like this kind of stuff takes planning and it takes more emotion. They called it too quick. If they keep calling this stuff, something's going to happen, man. And it may be your quote unquote lone wolf, whatever. But y'all, I just say, stay frosty out there. Just stay frosty. Uh, realize what's going on. Um, look at these. Look at what's going on at the southern border. Uh, look at these mass rallies within the United States. Uh, look at what's going on overseas with the embassies, and just stay frosty. You know, stay uh, stay alert, and uh, probably nothing will happen, and that'll be great. But realize, if anything's going to happen, it's probably going to be within the next month or two. You know, uh, and I'm not saying mass, uh, you know, attack or anything like that. That's down the road. As John says, we're looking at a year or two away from from something big happening. And I, I tend to agree with him. So now that we've gone the whole podcast without talking about sports, because I got two different listeners tell me when you guys talk, start talking about sports, I, I, I turn it off. And I'm like, really? OK, but <laughs> I'm looking at the AP top 25 and it looks like. If the college football playoff was today, it looks like Florida State would be in the hunt. So, yeah, congratulations to Josh's Florida State. Uh, UNC's down the list. And Texas Tech is not even. Uh, and UNC's ten. So, you know, maybe we'll get two out of three of us in the college football playoff <laughs> and keep going like they are. Because it ain't gonna be me this year. But yeah. uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know who to give a shout out to. You know, I guess uh, you know the usual suspects, but. Uh, I always forget somebody, you know, Scott, Ted, and the person who asked Josh, it's like referencing us, who do I need to give a sexual favor to, to get a new, to get, to get another episode of C3. And it's like, man, we're sorry. So that's why Josh and I record tonight instead of waiting for Rogers. We, we want to try to endeavor to persevere as uh, the Indian and, uh, and Josie Wells said, we're endeavoring to persevere to put one out at least once a week. So we appreciate y'all listening and all y'all folks. Uh, I'll kick it over to Josh to close us up. Yeah, so uh, so that uh, that person asks uh, Ryan. Ryan's one of our listeners. He's uh, he's down in Mississippi. Um, 
you know, I, he texted me that and I just, I, dude, I was, you know, I would die and laughing. Um, and it was good. So Ryan, Hey man, we, you know, trying to get, trying to get more out and yeah. So, so you're not, uh, you're not offering up your body to me, uh, you know, to, to try and get another episode. <laughs> I love you brother, but, uh, but I'm married, um, happily. So anyway, yeah, I, I, I kind of echo what Luke says, um, you know, when it comes to large crowds, large events, stuff like that, I just kind of, you know, take, take a step back and, you know, do your own, you know, do your own risk assessment on that and, you know, take a, you know, do, do a little bit of due diligence and some analysis on it. Um, because I don't think, again, in a lot of people that I talk to, you, you guys don't understand the ideology that you're, you know, that, you know, that, 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 that you're up against. These people are believers, this is not your, you know, oh, I get upset with, you know, when Congress, you know, wastes my tax dollars kind of believers, right? This is like, this is a whole different level. Like these people are believers. They're like, they're like New York, they're like diehard Yankees fans, like the worst of the worst, you know, Phillies fans, um, the worst. Sorry, Ryan, uh, you know, but the, uh, yeah, a <sighs> couple of shout outs, um, Hey, big game, James, and uh, you know, down in Tampa, really appreciate you listening. Uh, you know, like I said, Ryan in Mississippi, uh, appreciate you listening. You know, everybody, everybody up in the DC area. Um, you know, uh, JT, really appreciate you listening. Uh, Gary, Gary, who we've known, you know, Luke and I have known forever. Um, you know, definitely appreciate you listening, brother. Hope you're doing well. Um, you know, and I know I'm forgetting. I know I'm forgetting somebody. Uh, I'm forgetting a lot of people. Um, and then one day I'm actually going to sit down and write down the list so I can run through it. You well, know, there's uh, only like three ever, more. So. There's only like yeah. three more totals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Joe down in Florida, man, really appreciate you. Uh, you know, listening again. You know, Luke says it all the time, and you know, your your time is the most precious gift you have. And you know, we really appreciate you giving us some of it listening to our, uh, you know, our, our ramblings and pontifications. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, everybody keep an eye on the news. Uh, you know, we're watching it a little bit. We're going to start, I'm going to start posting more on our Facebook page, you know, and our, uh, our Twitter account to try and, you know, help you keep updated on it, you know, as this kind of progresses, but it, we're, we're in for the long haul in the Levant and, and it has a, it has a chance to go sideways very, very quickly. We, we are at the dipping point and, uh, you know, again, this could, you know, delve into a regional, uh, conflict and it could get, it could get sporty very, very quick. Um, so everybody stay frosty, you know, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And, uh, until next time, keep those, uh, keep those canteen cups full of some, uh, of some great whiskey and be good to one another. Later.